Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnThePartway.com. And Xavier's basketball season is over, but the NCAA tournament is set to begin. So we will be running down how exactly Xavier's season ended the way it did and what we look forward to about the NCAA tournament. Um, so uh, just, I, I mean, it's obviously the news around um college basketball is is wrapped up in the tournament we're going to analyze the bracket a little more later um but there's also an interesting trend going on with the nit because xavier elected not to play in the nit they were not alone um louisville seton hall st john's all um also elected not to play in the nit so brad um can you just kind of run us through what the reasons behind that were um without insulting the nit uh, well, I was really good right up until that last clause. Um, yeah, I, go ahead and insult the NIT. Who cares? I think that a lot of it is tied up in just how stressful this year has been for everybody traveling. Um, Coach Steele specifically mentioned his kids hadn't gotten to see, not his kids, but his players hadn't gotten to see their families for a long time. Um, all the protocols that they're going through and everything. And there's a lot of just a tacit understanding in there that it would be worth it to continue going through it for the NCAA tournament, but for the NIT, it kind of isn't. Um, I think the NIT has transitioned from being a secondary tournament to being now a tournament for uh, teams that have had decent years, but weren't really NCAA tournament contenders. So like uh, mid-majors who were successful and wanted to get some more games in or a rebounding high major team that uh, is just looking to play some more. But insofar as like a consolation bracket or something to do, if you don't make the NCAA tournament, there's not really a lot of incentive for teams like Xavier, Louisville, or Seton Hall to play in it. Because I mean, what is the, there's not really any draw. Um, You know, their season's over and it ended with a disappointment. I can see teams whose season didn't end disappointingly. I mean, if you play in the American, maybe the NIT was the goal all along. Um, but that's just really not the case for teams like like Xavier, Louisville, St. John's, who had NCAA tournament aspirations that they then lost. Um, it's, yeah, I, I know Joel was a big advocate of Xavier playing in it. I really wasn't and was kind of glad they made this decision. Yeah, I mean, you know, the NIT can't be too mad. They they get Memphis. Um, so <laughs> um anyway, um, in the Big East tournament, though, obviously Xavier lost, but uh, I, the big story from the Big East tournament was Georgetown, um, who ran through Marquette, Villanova, Seton Hall, and then obliterated Creighton on Saturday to win the Big East tournament. Um, Obviously, Brad, you and I, we grew up with Georgetown, a huge brand in college basketball uh, in the wake of uh, the the era of dominance that Patrick Ewing enjoyed there. And now he's back as a coach uh, and has a taste for um, of what that was like. Uh, Braden, how big is it for the Big East for Georgetown to be back or at least look like they're getting back to being a, a national brand? I think it's a huge boost um, because also they were the eighth place finisher in the regular season. 
obviously it was a really weird regular season, but that's a good showing to have the eighth place team make a deep run in the conference tournament like that and then win the whole thing, beating teams like Villanova and Creighton along the way. So I think that really just shows the depth of the conference. And then also just how much they beat Creighton by, they closed out that first half on an 18-0 run. And I mean, there was never any, never any look from Creighton that they were going to get back into it. So I think to people that haven't really watched the Big East throughout the year, that's kind of an eye-opener because Georgetown has really come out of nowhere here. But I think it is a big, big boost for the conference, um, especially after how bad the last couple of years have been for Georgetown with losing, you know, McClung and Akinjo. And then this year with COVID and everything that they were able to get this done, uh, it's really impressive for them. And I think it's a huge boost for Patrick Ewing as a coach because things have not been going well for him in the past couple of years. And this uh, was out of nowhere, but he still did get the job done. Um, I think Qudis Wahab is going to keep developing really well under him. And uh, I think, I don't know that they'll be, you know, punching at the top of the conference, but this is definitely a sign. I think it's a sign of things to come for the young guys he's got there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, just seeing, yeah, the way that those guys reacted, obviously, um, winning the, the conference tournament is, is huge, especially for them, because that was their only way into the NCAA tournament. But just what it meant to uh, those players and and Ewing, um, it, it was it was kind of special to see. Uh, so Xavier did play since we last recorded. Um, and while I don't know that it matters <laughs> what happened in that game, uh, they lost. Um think the the analysis of this game and the analysis of Xavier's season would probably um I mean they kind of go hand in hand because the game that that Xavier uh lost in the Big East tournament I felt like was a bit of a microcosm for the season in that it started really well it looked super promising um it looked like the result we all wanted was going to happen fairly comfortably and then it all fell apart and then it looked like no one knew what was going on. And then by the time the dust settled, everything had ended in horrendous disappointment. Um, Brad, is there anything else to say about it? I mean, uh, it, it really was the story of Xavier's season there on Wednesday night against Butler, wasn't it? Uh, it was. I mean, you summed that up really well. Even down to the problems that they had, uh, you know, the start of the season, they were a really good shooting team. The start of this game, they shot the ball really well. Then they forgot how to make shots, just as they did in the second half of the season. And, I mean, they came apart. I, I wrote an article about it, but, I mean, Xavier became an atrocious, atrocious, I can't speak English, shooting team in the uh, second half of the season. They, they finished, I believe it was their last eight games, they shot 26.9% behind the arc. Um, and sure enough, when that game came down to crunch time against Butler, they just could not buy a bucket from deep. Um, a lot of people were pushing for Kiki and we're going to get into that. I'm sure in a little bit here on the wake of his announcement, but I mean, that season, that game was the season, you know, just writ small, uh, really looked good at the start. I had let myself start to hope you guys hooked me last week into thinking that this was going to happen. So I got my hopes all up. And then I, it just seems incredibly fitting that Xavier's last shot for the year 
didn't actually even get off in time. Um, it didn't go, but Scruggs didn't have the ball out of his hands in time and just really summed everything up right there. I thought there were echoes of Trayvon Blewett hiding from the ball against Florida State in the way Scruggs played in that game. He only took eight shots, um, never really tried to come back and take the game over, which was what I was expecting him to do. Um, he didn't do it. I'm not entirely certain why, why we didn't force the ball there. And Zach Freeman, like Coach Steele said, has got to get to work in the weight room because that dude takes two hits inside and then just goes away. Um, he's got to get tougher. And again, kind of the story of the season, he started out well, and then somebody challenged him and he went outside and we ended up playing five outside of none for a while. Or we had Jason Carter in there. And I really don't want to talk about Jason Carter anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a disappointing way for the season to end, but in a way kind of probably fitting, um, because that's how this season has gone. Um, a bright spot I will point out was, um, the play of Xavier's freshman in the first half, they had 25 points in the first half. Um, and you, you thought, you know, Xavier is winning at halftime by 14 and, Fremantle and Scruggs haven't even gotten going yet. Uh, obviously, Fremantle and Scruggs never really did get going. Um, but I, I thought Odom, Wilcher, and uh, Jones really showed in the first half uh, why there's reason to be optimistic about Xavier's future. Um, although I've been reliably informed by Twitter that I'm an idiot for being optimistic about Xavier's future. Um, they need to fire Coach Steele so they can hire uh, John Beeline and Bill Self, I believe, is who they anticipate Xavier will replace Coach Steele with. Anyway, um, so in the wake of that, and obviously um, the season ending, uh, it, it was announced today that that Kiki Tandy has entered the transfer portal. Um, I don't think this is surprising news to anyone. Uh, his, his minutes had had dramatically declined over the course of the season and um obviously you know he's an explosive scorer but um no one is that explosive of a scorer in four minutes per game so uh kiki tandy is is out as a xavier um player uh brayden what are your what are your thoughts there this isn't really a surprise to anybody but i think it is still sad to everybody because he came in with a lot of promise. We saw flashes of that in his freshman season when he got up to speed, especially that win over Georgetown and that road win over Seton Hall. Uh, <clears throat> those two especially, he looked like a guy that was just going to be a bucket anytime you threw it to him. Um, you know, he, he had his rough patches his freshman season, but then the start of this year, I really thought that he and Odom were going to be uh, a dynamic backcourt going forward. But, you know, his time, his time diminished for whatever reason. Um, I thought he still could have offered this team a lot of things down the stretch. But, you know, the caliber of player that he is, the fact that he, uh, you know, I mean, he wants to get game time. I He clearly has earned game time with how good he is. So him going somewhere else uh, to get that, I don't hold that against him. I, I really hope to see him lighten it up somewhere next year. Um, you know, it's sad to have it's sad to have that happen because I really wanted to see him become uh, one of those uh, Xavier greats, but it just didn't work out that way. And uh, hopefully, he'll be 
lighten it up and punching on seven footers somewhere else next year? I don't think he will be. And I think that part of why he has ended up not finding as much success at Xavier as we expected is that I, that foot injury and lower leg injury he suffered to start his freshman year has clearly deprived him of some of the bounce that made him special coming out of high school. Um, he just really struggles to finish in the paint now. He shot 37% inside the arc this year. Um, can't get, it doesn't seem like he's got the lift to get up to the rim um, quite like Dwan Odom. Well, nobody has the lift that Dwan Odom does, but Kiki seems to have lost a little bit of that explosion. More than that, though, I think this is just clearly a case where something must be going on behind the scenes. Um, he played 41 minutes against Eastern Kentucky this year and then didn't get off the bench in Xavier's last game. And it's just a huge change. His body language wasn't great. I'm not saying I blame him for that. I mean, whatever was happening caused that. But he just looked unplugged from the team for a while. I don't want to try to read anything into that. Something was going on. I, You know, if it was interpersonal between he and Coach Steele or what, I, I wish him all the luck going forward. But I do wonder if that injury and losing some of that ability to get to the rim and finish around the rim is going to – uh, limit his efficacy at a high major from now on. Yeah. I, the thing I'll say for Kiki and um, our, our guy, Kevin Listerman pointed this out on Twitter. Um, you can read it into his body language all you want. The fact is that people were putting their names in the transfer portal mid season all over the place this year. Um you know, Jawan Johnson, Zach Harvey, several other people straight up just walked away from their teams, um, called it opting out. What it really was, was in most cases, they quit the team because they didn't feel like playing anymore. Kiki stuck with it. Um, you know, the third last game from the season, Xavier needed him to go in and light it up. And he did that. It was it ended up not being quite enough. Um to win what would have actually been a quadrant one game now that, that Georgetown's been on the run. It's been on. Um, but the guy um, stuck with it. I mean, he, he didn't uh, throw his name out there. He didn't just walk away. He, he stayed with it in, until the bitter end. And the end was pretty bitter, not getting into an overtime game in which your team uh, shoots that poorly and loses. Um, that's a tough pill to swallow, but um, you know, he he did it, I think, in a way that is respectable, and at, at least I respect it. So, um, yeah, all the all the luck in the world to Kiki, and I hope that he does end up uh, going somewhere where, you know, he can be kind of the focal point of the team and, and um, show what he can do. So with Kiki gone, obviously, um, that is one departure. The thing about the roster turnover this year, really all across college basketball, is that Technically, no one has to leave. Um, seniors who who played this year are eligible to take another year and um, come back. So which of Xavier's four seniors do you think is most likely to take advantage of that and return, Brad? Um, people are going to love this answer. I think Jason Carter. <laughs> 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 Uh, Paul Scruggs is gone. We all know that. Uh, and 
he should be gone. I think he did enough this year to demonstrate he could play at the next level, not necessarily in the NBA, but he should get paid to pay, play basketball next year. I hope he does. Um, I wish him all the luck in the world. I'd love to see him back, but he's just not going to come back. Um, Brian Griffin is not going to come back. I can't imagine why you would come back to play four minutes a game. That doesn't make a great deal of sense to me. So that leaves us with Nate Johnson and Jason Carter. Um, I don't know that Nate Johnson can put more on tape in terms of wanting to get paid to play than he has already. He's a great shooter who's very athletic and can defend well. Um, he can't really change anything about that. I think the only reason he comes back is if he thinks there's not opportunities for him in whatever they're calling the developmental league now or Europe. Jason Carter, on the other hand, I don't think is going to get paid to play at the next level at a very high level. Um, he seems like one of those guys that ends up like in the Finnish basketball league or playing in Lithuania or something. Well, uh, he- wait, a, wait a minute, because you are about to offend Sean O'Mara. And uh, I'm not going to stand for that on my podcast. Where is he playing? Uh, Sweden, I believe. Okay. Everyone knows that Finland is worse than Sweden. Duh. Clearly. Calm down. Um, I didn't. I didn't think Sweden was different than Finland. Oof. Wow. That's pretty. Uh, pretty prejudiced against Scandinavia. We're, we might have to edit this part out. Sorry for any people of Scandinavian descent listening. Okay, so, I'm sorry too. Um, Sean like O'Mara plays in the small Scandinavian country of Japan. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Lesser known laughs> Scandinavian countries. <laughs> it really um, it just depends on how you're circling the continents, whether Japan, okay. you know, it's it's like I see why you got confused because it's like Finland in that it straddles that Europe Asia border where you're just not I, quite sure what it is. I think on a risk board, Japan is in the Scandinavia sector. Is that, why I'm confused. We're gonna go ahead and go with that. Um, Sean O'Mara, frankly, should be playing in an Irish league so they can introduce him in an Irish accent. But I digress. Anyway, I don't think Nate Johnson comes back. I think Jason Carter. Um, he's already got the only thing that there's not really for him is that he already has a great deal of education. So if he comes back, I'm not sure what he would do. I'm not really sure what any senior who has finished their education comes back to do. Uh, it seems a little weird to go to college and not really go to college, just kind of hang out and play basketball. I mean, that's ultimately what we kind of did in our college experience, but we were at least pretending to go to class. Um, some of these guys, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what they would do going forward, but I, I can see Jason Carter coming back. And frankly, I can see him being a useful 10 minute a game kind of guy. OK, um, you said you were done talking about Jason Carter earlier in the podcast. So uh, just to circle back to Sean O'Mara, though, breaking news, he did play in Finland as soon as he left Xavier. Um, his first year of pro ball was in Finland. So you have insulted Sean O'Mara. Um, I hope he breaks you over his knee. Um, anyway, Brady, uh, do you think Jason Carter is the one most likely to come back? I, I agree with pretty much everything Brad said there about Scruggs. He's put a lot on tape. Griffin, uh, there's not much of a case for him to come back. I'd love to see Johnson come back. Um, 
not because he can uh, put anything different on tape, but, but because he could just put more threes on tape, possibly um, in a packed Cintas center next year, which would make me as a Xavier fan very excited. So I don't know that he'll come back, but I'd absolutely love to see him come back and rain threes next year. Uh, but Jason Carter's probably the likely one. I think actually, I, in my opinion, Johnson is the most likely to come back. Um, I mean, mm. he played one year of high major ball, which was abbreviated by injury. Um, he came to Xavier to play in the NCAA tournament, and that was taken away from him through no fault of his own. And so I think he would be the one who feels like he has the most unfinished business here. Um, Carter, like Brad said, finished his bachelor's at Ohio in three years. He's been at Xavier for two years. I don't know like what, how many degrees the dude can get, but at a certain point, um, I just feel like he's going to be like, okay, you know, I'm a a nuclear physicist now. Maybe I should quit playing college basketball. (laughs) Um, And and yeah, I mean, I think Scruggs, I would love for Scruggs to come back, but I think he's leaving. um, And I, I would love for Brian Griffin to come back honestly, because I think he's what Xavier needs. I thought he was what Xavier needed this year though. And um, clearly the coach disagreed with me. So I don't know why he would. I think Johnson's most likely to come back because I think he's the one who will feel like um, he has the most unfinished business. He came to Xavier to play in the NCAA tournament. He got hurt before he could make that happen. Now he can come back healthy and lead a team back to where he always wanted to, to go in the first place. Um, and I would love to see it happen, but that's just my opinion. So in light of UCLA, Syracuse, and Wichita State being in, uh, does Xavier have a reason to feel hard done by? Um, so Brad, you wrote this question, um, and I, 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 there's only like one reasonable answer, but go ahead with what you're saying. I think that they could make an argument resume-wise that they should be in. Um, UCLA should not be in the tournament. I, I, I'm not sure how they got in. I think it's because they're called UCLA. I think on a blind resume, nobody picks a team that needed three overtimes to beat Pepperdine, <clears throat> excusing teams that may have needed overtimes to beat Eastern Kentucky. But, you know, that's different, obviously. Syracuse and Wichita State, they, I mean, they both, all the resumes there are as flawed as Xavier's or have the high points that Xavier's did. Um, I knew when I saw those teams starting to get picked, I think I was probably like you guys in that I tuned into the selection show, not thinking where we were going to make it, but holding that 3.2% chance that Bart Torvik said we had kind of in the back of my mind and hoping for a miracle. Um, when I saw a couple of those teams get picked, I realized that we just we're not going to be in uh, because you're not going to take that many weak resumes. I think Xavier could argue, hey, we should be in instead of UCLA or Syracuse or Wichita State or maybe even Drake, however you want to cut it up. Ultimately, though, and I heard Matt Norlander say this last night, you can't any high major that doesn't get in doesn't really have the opportunity to whine. Xavier finished ultimately what became one in seven in quadrant one games, thanks to Georgetown getting smoking hot near the end there. They had their opportunities. All they had to do was put one more Q1 win into the resume or maybe avoid a horrible Q3 loss in which you led by 19 and they'd be in. So I, 
I think Xavier and their fans can feel a little aggrieved, you know, when they sit down and have to watch the absolutely disgusting spectacle of Jim Beheim coaching in the NCAA tournament again and say that should have been us. But I mean, win win a game when it matters. And Xavier ultimately just couldn't do that. So I think to feel hard done by would be awfully rich, would be really reaching for a reason to feel insulted. Um, it's gross that Mick Cronin's in and Xavier's not, but I mean, just win a game that matters and X didn't do that. So the work was in front of them and they didn't do it. I think that's all there is to it. Yeah. I, I think, um, no, Xavier does not have a reason to feel hard done by is the answer to this question. Um, because like you said, it was right there in front of them. Just win any of those last three games, you know, beat Georgetown Marquette or Butler, and then you have a case. But when you drop all three of those games, um, all of which Xavier was in late and then couldn't find a way to win. Uh, I don't know that they have a reason to look at the bracket and say it should have been us. Um, Louisville, uh, who has Xavier's former coach. I don't know if you guys knew that. They have a huge <laughs> feel hard done by because they got screwed really hard. Um, and people are like, well, it doesn't matter that the Kentucky AD was the chairman of the selection committee. It absolutely matters. Um, those schools hate each other and you can't tell me he didn't, his eyes didn't light up at the opportunity to screw Louisville out of a chance in the NCAA tournament. So it absolutely, uh, did matter. Um, because (laughs) the committee, let's be honest, it's not like a scientific thing. It's just a bunch of dudes in a room being like, Hey, who do you think we should put in? Um, so yeah. Um, and then the coaching carousel has begun. Um, sad news for, for everyone in the big East or at least 10 schools. Uh, Dave Lado is out at DePaul, um, after, uh, apparent approximately 57 years. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how he lasted this long. Um, I just assumed that like he had bought DePaul, the university, and that was the only way he was staying in the job. But anyway, they did fire him. Um, Archie Miller um, was fired from India. And then uh, Richard Patino uh, was fired from Minnesota. Um, do you guys have thoughts on those three? I mean, um, obviously, Leto is going to be the one that kind of affects Xavier the most. Ah, <laughs> I mean, it's three That's guys. <laughs> <laughs> Three guys who went to programs that have a shot to be good and didn't do very well. I think Archie Miller is the huge disappointment there. Um, you know, next Thanksgiving when all the Millers are gathered around the table and the family is talking to Sean about what a great job he's doing, poor Archie's just going to have to sit at the end and console himself with mashed potatoes and the thought that he took one of the premier jobs in college basketball and did absolutely zero with it. <laughs> Yeah, um, what would be funny is if they fire if they hired Steve Alford. I don't know. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. Um, is if is if uh, Indiana hired Steve Alford <laughs> because uh, I don't know if you guys know that people played at Indiana, uh, so that would be really really funny to me. Um, but yeah, um. 
I don't care for Richard Patino much. Uh, Archie Miller doesn't really bother me. Dave Lato, I think that could be bad if DePaul gets a competent coach. Um, luckily, they they had Dave Lato and a former Dayton coach, and Xavier's been in the Big East. Um, but there's talk that they might go for Porter Moser, which uh, could go poorly for, for the rest of the Big East if he gets into DePaul. Um, but anyway, um, we're looking forward to watching some basketball. So uh, why don't we just run down, Brad, what is your uh, the game in the first round you're looking most forward to watching? Uh, Texas and Abilene Christian, um, because they are a fantastic mesh of styles that could lead to a great game. Texas plays like most Shaka Smart teams do. Um, they're flashy. They're fast. They want to get up and down the floor, dunk and shoot threes. And they want to do that quickly and aggressively. And if, you know, they chuck the ball into the cheap seats a few times or, you know, dribble off their foot, they're not too worried about little things like that. Because who cares when you can dunk and, you know, your nipples are at the rim. Um, that's that's what they're here for. What Abilene Christian does is take teams who want to be flashy and fast and are a little careless with the ball and turn them over at an incredible rate. Um, teams turn the ball over on almost 27% of their possessions against Abilene Christian. They just come out and attack people. So that could really be an interesting matchup against Texas because Texas is going to play fast and loose, and Abilene Christian loves playing teams who play fast and loose. Um, they almost knocked off Arkansas. They spotted, they spotted Arkansas 13 points in the first five minutes and then played them even for the next 35. Um, crawled their way back into that game and almost won it before the foul shot parade started. Texas Tech, they held to 51 points. They only scored 14 points in the first half against Texas Tech and still managed to only lose that game by seven. If Abilene Christian can make shots, they'll give Texas all kinds of trouble. Um, that is the huge if with them. And I learned that they're called the Wildcats today because I went to I was tired of typing ACU in my write up and I went to write in their nickname and realized I had no clue what it was. So I had to go look it up. So it's Wildcat Longhorns. I think that should be a fun game to watch. That is on Saturday. OK, Braden, uh, what do you got? I've got Arkansas versus Colgate. Much like Brad's matchup, this one's going to get up and down the floor at a crazy rate because both of these teams are top 25 in Ken Palm for their adjusted tempo. Colgate has shot 40% from three on the year, which is alarming to say the least. Obviously, they're not playing super high-level competition. Uh, the best team they played this year, I believe, was Army, who's 189 in the Ken Palm, and they lost to them one time. So uh, not, a, not a stellar resume there, but Arkansas... Uh, also, very uh, run-and-jump type team. They get up and down the floor in a hurry. Uh, they don't shoot nearly as many threes, but that's just because they shoot 52% inside the arc, and they've got a lot of very athletic finishers to get in there. Um, unlike Colgate, they do believe that defense exists, and they're actually pretty good at it. Colgate doesn't really um, think that that side of the court is very important. But I think this is going to be a fun game to watch because I think Arkansas will win it just because they've got the better athletes and uh, maybe the better uh, balanced attack um, with more looks coming inside the arc. But this one is going to get up and down the floor in a hurry, uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And if Colgate gets hot, uh, it could be it could be an upset. 
Okay. Um, I'm going to go for a couple teams that Xavier has uh, had some recent history with. Um, it's an eight, nine game. Um, I believe for the honor of getting your head kicked in by Gonzaga, uh, but it's Missouri and uh, Oklahoma. Um, obviously um, this is going to be like a guard dominated game. Um, Oklahoma has Austin Reeves. Uh, who's who's a really good guard um, when he's not playing Xavier. Uh, and then um, Missouri has, has the Smiths brothers, Drew and Mark. Um, they're not actually brothers and Xavier Pinson who just shoots and shoots and shoots and is uh, completely um, undeterred by the fact he's not very good at it. Uh, so uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a, a battle of coaching styles between uh, Lon Kruger, who I believe coached my dad the first time he played basketball and uh, Conzo Martin, uh, who I like a lot. Uh, people are always like, is Conzo Martin a good coach? Um, and I don't really know, but I do like him. So I, I, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, they're both teams that peaked really high this year. Uh, Missouri beat Illinois this year. Uh, not many people have done that. Uh, they they beat Alabama. I mean, they they had some really good wins. Um, they also lost some to some really awful teams. They lost to Mississippi State, um, which is not good. Obviously, Oklahoma had some huge wins too. They also beat Alabama. Everybody beat Alabama. Alabama sucks. What the heck? Um, and then Oklahoma somehow lost to Kansas State and the team that finished 61st in Ken Palm by 22 points. So I don't know how you do that, Oklahoma. Come on. Uh, get better. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, that is, uh, that's the one I'm looking forward to. Um, but what's you guys' biggest bracket gripe? Obviously, every year the bracket comes out and a bunch of schmucks like us sit around and uh, whine about it and then call that analysis. So, uh, Brad, uh, hit me with some bracket analysis. <laughs> Man, this is right in my wheelhouse of complaining about things that I don't have any control over. Um, we should tell our listeners, if you meet me in in real life, I think I'm pleasant to be around. Anyway, my You're biggest bracket right, is that nope. it seems like they, they did their snake seeding thing and then they ignored it. I don't know how Georgetown, which had no chance at an at-large bid, ended up with a higher seed than some at-large teams. That's just confusing to me. Um I think that if you're one of those at-large teams, you might feel a little bit hard done by that you ended up playing in a play-in game where Georgetown, who has no resume to speak of outside of the last week and certainly wasn't getting in outside of the last week uh, landed more firmly in the field than you did. Uh, that was really weird to me. Other than that, it was a tough year. I mean, how are you going to see there are, you know, Colgate played 14 games. There are teams that only played 20 games. It's hard to figure it out. I think Louisville should have been in, but I'd use the same argument for them that Xavier had their work was in front of them and they choked. Um, I don't have too many. Honestly, I'm just really excited that we have a bracket to look at again. Uh, my kids are getting theirs printed out. We're going to spend some time tonight looking at them. I spent all of yesterday just streaming various podcasts and radio shows and everything of people talking about the bracket. I'm happy about it. I can't wait. I tweeted out that I was excited about Selection Sunday. And everybody piled on me about what a what a jerk I was for being excited right. to see come out again. Um, I'm happy, man. I love college basketball. I love this time of year. 
Uh, my bracket gripes are far overwhelmed by my excitement to watch and listen to these games. Uh, Braden, what about you? My biggest bracket gripe, there's actually uh, a couple angles to it. So my gripe is that UCLA is in the tournament and not because of their resume, because we've been over that, but just because Mick Cronin, I, I don't like having to look at him on the sidelines, watch his ugly brand of basketball unfold in front of me. And I don't know why you'd put a team in that you know is going to get bounced well before the second weekend starts. Uh, but the positive to it is that I get to see Mick Cronin just lose his mind when he gets bounced before the second weekend. Because I've seen it happen time and again, and it's funny every time. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a little upset that he even gets to the tournament this year, but I am going to enjoy it when the wheels completely fall off and they lose to whoever's in their play-in game with them. Michigan State, they're going to get owned, and I'm going to love watching it. Yeah, I think my gripe has to do with Michigan State, but that they landed in a play-in game. Um, they are playing about as well as anybody in the country right now. Uh, they did lose their first Big Ten tournament game, uh, but since February 23rd, they've beaten two one-seeds and a two-seed, uh, which is pretty good. Um, and somehow the committee decided to put them behind Syracuse, who beat basically no one all season. I mean, their best win is North Carolina, maybe. Um, I don't really get that. Yeah, their best win is is North Carolina, who's an eight seed. Um, so you have to go back like almost an entire eight days to find Michigan State beating a team way better than that. I don't know how you look at their two seasons and say, yeah, Syracuse deserves to have a higher seed than Michigan State. Um, but the committee, I mean, every year they they just lob Syracuse's softball. Um, I don't get it. I don't understand what the committee sees in Syracuse every year other than they know that Jim Beheim has their phone numbers and is going to whine incessantly if they leave him out of the tournament, I think is the entire reason they keep getting in, but they shouldn't have been in this year. They certainly should not have missed the playing games if they got in. Um, and I think Michigan state deserved better. Um, and Syracuse deserved worse. So that's my bracket gripe. But anyway, um, I don't have that many gripes because I'm going to get to watch some basketball this weekend. Um, we hope you guys that, uh, enjoy that. Uh, thank you so much for sticking with us for this entire, um, season of Xavier basketball. Didn't end the way we wanted it to, but um, we, we thank you guys for coming on the ride with us. And uh, we will keep you up to date on what's going on with Xavier all through the summer and look forward to another great season next year.